This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Welcome to Blockbuster Film School. I am your favorite Blockbuster employee, Alexander Howard Bonner, and I am joined, of course, by your other favorite, Nicholas Stand Your Ground Souder. Say hoo-ha. 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 How are you feeling, Nick? How are you doing? I feel great. Oh. Yesterday I ran a 5K and then I came <laughs> home late at night and had a very sensible diet. That's right. And I did not throw up at two in the morning. No, we did not drink a lot and, of Malort. No. 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 And yeah. then I um had strawberries and uh, balsamic vinegar for uh, breakfast. That's, you know, I had a banana, like a monkey. I had a monkey breakfast. Nice. Good for you. Yeah, you know, I just eat just one Potassium. banana. One banana a day. Um, everybody, well, you know the drill. You're at Blockbuster Film School where you learn what two morons who have film degrees and Blockbuster film expertise um, are going to teach you. And this week, we've decided to do, and I finally figured out how to pronounce his name, I think based on some interviews I saw of him and Jake Gyllenhaal and the guy who played Wolverine. And his name is Denny Villeneuve. Mm. He is my favorite French Canadian after Celine Dion. Oh, that's there. That yeah. actually makes a lot of sense. I don't know. The original of... title of Sicario was My Heart Will Go On. That is true. That... <laughs> I enjoy fucking Patrick Waugh, former goalie for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, but... I don't get sports jokes. <laughs> don't worry. Shout out to you, Patrick Waugh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I'd like to say hello to Patrick Wilson. Oh, yeah. Hello, Pat- after Patrick Wilson. Yes, congratulations yeah. on being you, Patrick Wilson. Yeah. You son of a bitch. You, you think you're better than me? You motherfucker. Yeah, you, oh, I'm handsome, and I got to be on TV. I think I'm better than everybody. They're going to keep combing my hair back, even though I've got a receding hairline <laughs> like a beach in New Orleans. It looks good, though. Yeah. It does look good. It does great. He does a great. He does a great job. I haven't seen a movie in ten years, but good job. I mean, he's in a lot of movies. He's in a lot of movies. He's Patrick Wilson. Did you he see is uh, Owen and Luke's other brother? Correct, yeah, or possibly their exactly. dad? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he's definitely older than Luke. That is true. Yeah. They invented those volleyballs, the Wilson volleyball. Yeah. That um, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks' Hanks son. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. not volleyball. Yeah, I mean, let's not let's not mix words here. Yeah, nobody cries unless your ex floats away like that. <laughs> It's so true. He fucking. Did you see Aquaman? I know we're going off topic. Oh no 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 no! We're, 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 we're talking we can, to... absolutely. Denny Vill, you know, Denny Villeneuve is going to have big Aquaman elements. But you know what? I didn't. I did not see yeah. it. I'm just bringing it up. It was Patrick Wilson. Oh, that's right. He's Black Manta, right? He's the mm-hmm. bad guy. Did you see it? No. <laughs> I don't watch Patrick Wilson movies. I just. I like James Wan. I wanted to go see it. It was one of those ones that just kind of. I just didn't catch it in the theater. So, yeah. and now I'm at the point where. Kind of hoping when it's going to come out on Netflix and then I will watch it. Kind of one yeah. of those things versus apparently like the James Wanness of it is ridiculous. And I would say this as a segue to Villeneuve, kind of, in my opinion, maybe two of the best action directors running around right now. Obviously, I think Villeneuve has kind of a little more like subtle artistic sort of skill with some of that stuff. But oh, like, yeah. James Wan's stuff is bonkers. I don't know that last couple- two sides of the spectrum. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Denny Villanova is not going to throw actual million dollar cars no. out of an airplane. The climax <laughs> of Arrival, spoilers if you haven't seen it yet, yes. Arrival starring um, Amy Adams yes. and Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's super right. intense and it's very just like edge of your seat and the climax of that movie is an action-packed phone call that's right and there's a part where jason statham and the rock are driving around with a safe attached to a car 
Same exact thing. That's the exact same ending. That's the exact same thing. Oh, that's the end of Arrival. That, <laughs> spoiler alert. All right, let's get into Daddy Villeneuve. I'm going to pronounce his name terribly. I apologize. Je suis désolé, Canada. Ma français est terrible. So, Les incompetents. <laughs> so Denny is like the most French Canadian person who ever existed. He literally grew up in Montreal. His parents were like teachers. He went to the University of Quebec at Montreal for film. And then he has a birthmark on his butt cheek of a fucking of, Canadian flag. Of the Canadian flag right next to a film camera. It's very weird. He is the chosen one of Canada. A lot of mountain. It's like if uh, Damien from The Omen did good things. Yes. He wears a Mountie hat all the time. Okay. So we were talking about this the other day. The crazy thing about Canada is that like civilized countries, unlike America, they have these things where they have a little bit of socialized art and particularly film in Canada because they feel insecure because they are smaller and worth less than America, but are better run and happier. So that's normally what happens with like middle children who are more talented, but smaller in stature and not as loved as the maybe more exuberant older child who like beats the shit out of people like football, you know? So they have like some things. And one of the things they have is this contest that is just straight up into the actual Canadian film board. And it's a film contest for kids. Right. And they've had it for like 35 years. And in like the early nineties, he won, it's called radio Canada's youth film competition with a movie called La course Europe, Asia. Right. So like even that already, he was already on the radar of some producers and things because he was already a kid filmmaker. He already kind of had his way into making films for colleges and things like that. So in America, you're kind of already fucked. Like unless your dad is one of the Gyllenhaals, I imagine, or possibly Schwarzenegger. I don't know. His kids, I don't know what they do. Oh, they got married to Chris Pratt, one of them, but team Anna Ferris, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get between everybody, okay? All right. I will get between Chris, whatever I have to. You've talked to, to about Chris Pratt. Sorry, everybody. We had to cut that out. Me and Nick got into a brutal fist fight over who we like more, Anna Ferris or Chris Pratt. It lasted for two and a half hours. Uh, I, I was two right. Two things to say for you. I was right. Maybe you were right, but don't hit Thanos with a gun to the face. When yeah, I know. Oh, off. my God. Yeah, they got the fucking the glove off, you idiot. You killed my girlfriend. <laughs> um, that's a line. From uh, that was actually a sound clip. That was an Alex. That, that's a sound clip from Avengers: Infinity War. So hopefully Marvel Disney doesn't hear that. Come um, at me, bro. <laughs> but he won a competition as a kid. Then he goes to film school. Then he basically just starts making these huge critical darling plays. He makes a movie called August Thirty Second on Earth that is impossible to find. I couldn't yeah, find it. Couldn't find it anywhere. It sounds real weird. It sounds like the most French Canadian thing I've ever heard, which is about this woman who like is getting older and she wants her friend to impregnate her before she's too old to have a kid. They have to do it in the desert. Yes. I was like, what? So what this, and then Canada let you make it. Like and they give him awards for it. Oh my God. It sounds like every movie that was pitched by one of the kids in my production two class at Columbia college that, uh, and then like, you know, but it's like a love story, but it's not, it's a visual poem. Okay. And it doesn't really, it's nonlinear. And um, she's wearing a red jacket, which means love, but also anger. And you're like, okay, cool. That's that's cool. That's cool. Uh, so he makes that movie, which is basically his college movie. Then he proceeds to get weird with it and make weirder and weirder movies. Have you seen Maelstrom? I couldn't find that one either. I know. A lot of his Canadian movies, I think Canada's just holding them in their yeah. Canadian Vatican the where the Canadian Pope lives with Serpentus the Ninth, right? Ask me. 
Brian, can you support any of this information he's giving me? Also, super producer Brian Tepps just nodded yes. He admits that there is a reptilian Canadian pope in charge of the Canadian Catholic Church. I saw a shrug. (laughs) So he makes a second film called Maelstrom, which is not a movie about monster trucks, as you would imagine it would be. Is that a sports joke? mm, I don't know. Are monster trucks a sports joke? I just imagine like... Maelstrom would also be like a pay-per-view for like the WWF, WWF Maelstrom. Like, <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting word. And yeah. It's like a superstar. Um, mm. It's a movie. It's also sort of weird. I watched some of it. It's a quote unquote Canadian French comedy about a woman who hits a guy with a car it's a hit and run. She kills the guy. And then by like a weird course of events, she ends up falling in love with the guy who she killed son. And the whole story is narrated by a fish, right? There's this fish and he's in a fish market sitting on the ice. And he like turns and he starts talking to the camera in French. And then he's like, I want to tell you. And then tells you about this story. And then right at the end, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to see the shit out of Maelstrom, Fish is like, and now I'm going to tell you the secret and meaning of life. And then he's like, gets his head cut off before he can like say anything. Cause you're like, cause he's a fish and he's delicious. I think that's the point. I think that was the point ultimately. So fish are delicious. And it's interesting. The connections with Lynch. Okay. Already. So there's some Lynchian kind of connections. He likes David Lynch a lot. Right. Are you implying that he's remaking a David Lynch movie currently? Or that a lot of his movies have sort of very Lynchian things, but he's almost like if you combined sort of John McTiernan with David Lynch and then maybe tossed it like a little bit of Kubrick, you know, yeah. or Ridley Scott, somebody who's got a little bit of high minded ideas to their action. Kubrick, Terrence, Malick, and David Lynch. Right. But already, like, both of these movies are not, like, super action-y. So he's getting his weirdness in early with Maelstrom, but he's not really making action movies yet. Then he makes a movie called Polytechnic, which I have seen. It's one of those movies that came out in, like, 2009. Once again, he's still making movies in Canada. Everyone in America is like, I don't give a shit. I don't, like, no one cares. But he's starting to kind of get a little noise. With Polytechnic. It's basically a movie about a school shooter, a shooting that happened at the University of Montreal. And it comes out, it wins a bunch of awards, it could be a bunch of awards at Cannes, right? And it's the first time he wins what's called, at that point, a Genie Award, right? Which which has since been renamed. Yes, but can you explain what a Genie Award is? Genie is the Canadian Oscar. Mm, But that's the first movie. It's interesting. It's... It's better than fucking Elephant. What was Gus Van Sant's weird movie about Columbine? Elephant. Yeah, it was Elephant. I kind of liked Elephant. I liked it better than fucking Last Days. Yeah, I mean, they're all kind of... Yeah, I mean, that's not saying much, though. They're all kind of shoulder shrugs to me. Okay. I like my last bowel movie more than, like, Last Days. Yeah, well, obviously Last Days. Oh, Michael Pitt. That's exactly, that was, oh my God, everyone. Michael Pitt is in the room. Hey, thanks That's a for having, rendition of Michael Pitt's voice. I'm Michael Pitt. Thanks for having me on the podcast. <laughs> Where's the camera? I liked him in Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. He was good in that. But he was such a dick, they killed him off. They did. Yeah. Hey, that's what happens. When your hair is too cool, you just turn into a complete asshole. Everyone knows that. Yeah. That's science. Should have learned that from Josh Harnett. Uh, that's true. No offense, Josh Harnett, man. I'm sorry, but like you can't act. It's a, it's a, it's, I'm sorry. 
It's just the whole thing. It's a pen full of drugs. <laughs> Buy a pen. You were like real, real handsome. And that worked when you were just like walking around being super handsome in the Virgin Suicides. But then when they were like, you have to like do some acting now. And he's like, some, some what? You have to have a motion. I'm doing, I'm doing. I can do motion. Hold on. And he flips his hair. No, that's flipping your hair. You're saying this. No, that's not it. Okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I get that. I get what human emotions are. Did you say human emotions? Uh, uh, no. Uh, Josh, who's your acting coach? Michael Pitt. (laughs) My alien overlords. So he makes that. He makes Polytechnic. And that's the first one that really kind of starts getting a little bit of press for him outside of Canada. And then he makes this movie called Incendies, Incendies, which is a French language movie. It's, I have not seen this one. It is a quote unquote Canadian war film. It's about two brothers who go back to a Middle Eastern country. They don't say what it is, but it's kind of based on the Lebanese civil war. It's this really like super depressing fucking thing about, like dead. I've seen the opening five minutes. I was just reading the synopsis of it. I was like, this sounds like the fucking most depressing thing. In case you haven't caught on yet, folks, we're not like huge on his early work. They're hard to find. Super, first of all, I couldn't find two of them. I, and then I have downloaded Polytechnic and I've seen um, Polytechnic Incendies. And, and Incendies, I was like, ah. but Incendies comes out. It's like nominated for a bunch of stuff. It's nominated for tons of like foreign language at the uh, Oscars. foreign language at the Oscars. He gets a writing nod for it. He wins, I think, 375 Genie Awards. He basically just wins every Genie Award that comes out every year because they only have him. And it's him and Seth Rogen as filmmakers for Canada. And they just have to decide who wins all of them this year, Seth Rogen or Villanova. Sorry, that was a terrible butthead impression. <laughs> so Variety Magazine in 2011 calls him a top 10 filmmaker to watch. And as we all do, we all have subscriptions to Variety Magazine and we all read it every day. But then because of that, finally, some American producers are like, it's time, Canada boy. It's time for you to come to the United States and make yourself an American movie. And he makes... The classic comedy, Prisoners. So Prisoners comes out with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Also, I love Enemy, so we'll get to Enemy. So what's crazy about Prisoners, though, is this is what he sort of combines his weirdness with. And this is like 2013, I think. So he starts combining all of his weird shit. Prisoners is nuts. I don't know if you've ever seen Prisoners. It's fucking crazy. It's fucking it's it's, insane. It's crazy. It had an NC-17 rating. And, that makes sense. And it involves lots of people getting the shit beat out of them. They fucking torture the shit out of Paul Dano. Yes. And Paul Dano has like, he's touched by an angel. Okay. He's yeah. like, so there's a part where Wolverine beats up a mentally challenged guy. Yeah. There's a part where there's a bunch of kidnapped children. He takes the Hollywood, you know, sort of bad guy who's stealing kids and also into like messing with the cops and sending them mazes and letters. And he really does it in his own weird way where you truly have no idea what the fuck is going on. And it's genuinely spooky. And Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal's amazing. Gyllenhaal. He's one of my favorite actors. He's he's fantastic. I knew Bashes on Gyllenhaal's an idiot. It's also the first time Villeneuve works with Gyllenhaal, which he'll work on him with the next movie, which we also talk about, which I also love, which is completely insane. And, Hugh Jackman's just jacking a huge jack. Oh, yeah. He's Wolverine. He's he's Wolverine dad. Yeah. He's Wolverine dad. He's Wolverine from the movie. Like, if you took the characters from Taken and the movie Ransom and then gave them to Jackman and gave him a bunch of steroids and cocaine and were like, go nuts. And he's like, where's my daughter? (laughs) 
<laughs> like Jake Gyllenhaal's like, calm down. <laughs> so much of the movie is Gyllenhaal like, let me do my goddamn just, job. Will you be cool? Will, will you calm you, down will for you a second? Let me do this. Have you thought about baby? Baby, it's a goddamn Paul Dan. Like, yes, I've thought about it. Will you relax? Baby, you like, there's a lot of that. That's the entire yeah. movie. I just did the whole movie for you. And the twist ending is a kind of a twist ending. The last 30 seconds of the movie are mm. fucking amazing. But you saw Prisoners, right? Yeah, I saw Prisoners. So I saw Prisoners today. What did you think of Prisoners? I really enjoyed it. It's yeah. a fucking slow burn, and yeah. it's completely insane. Yes. And it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. No. And I, it's one of those movies. It's like Mississippi Grind. Mm -hmm. I kept waiting for, for fucking Gyllenhaal or Wolverine to fucking die. Yeah. That's the entire yes. movie. The entire movie just fucks with you. Are you ready for them to die? Yes, you are. No, not yet. Oh, not oh. yet. Oh, he's, oh, oh, he got put in a hole. And like He's going to die in a hole. <laughs> and then he's just like, you just got fucking Gyllenhaal standing there. He's like, oh, I know. What? That's so no. weird. Yes. Okay, well, you're spoiling it a little bit now, but not entirely. At the end, what he's saying is that Wolverine and Jake Gyllenhaal have a whistle off where they... It's something like that. And then Andrew Bird comes out and they all, it's weird. Anyway, so, okay. God damn it. Andrew Bird jokes? I know. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, so Prisoners happens. And that's the first one where it makes a bunch of money. It's not just a critical darling. It's not just the fuck up with that. It's not just winning Canadian awards. It's making big American bucks. It costs $40 billion to make and it made like $175 million. And for just like a R rated thriller for your first movie that you made in America, that's pretty fucking badass. And so they take notice. I didn't realize that Prisoners and Enemy came out the same year. They came out the same year. And also, supposedly, I was watching this interview with Hall and Villanova about Prisoners. And they talk about how they kind of came up with the idea for Enemy, just like them hanging out, talking while they were making the movie. That's amazing. It's really cool. And apparently, like, they get along really, really well. And supposedly Hall was maybe supposed to be uh, the Gosling character in Blade Runner, but he just couldn't do it. He was like, he just like couldn't get around scheduling. So, which is also really interesting because it was who Villeneuve really wanted. It's like his guy. I think Gosling worked out though. I do. I, I like Gosling a lot. Though. I do. It's interesting though that Villeneuve is like, my dude is Hall. I would like to have him be like my sort of DiCaprio to my Scorsese or yeah. Johnny Depp to my Tim Burton kind of thing, you know, but one of those works better than the one other. One of those works a lot better. Uh, <laughs> I wanted him to be my Michael Keaton to my good Tim Burton. Then he makes this movie called Enemy. Which is his most Lynchian movie ever. It is fucking super Lynchian. It's, it's super bananas. If you have never seen this movie, do yourself a favor. It's not like anything you expect. No. The general plot synopsis is this. Jay Schillenhall is this regular dude. He's a teacher at a university. Yes, he's a teacher at a university. He's about to have a kid. He has a wife. So he kind of has to like start to like sort of behave. He's got this different version of his future ahead of him. Mm, I mean, that's kind twisting it. Well, okay, but that's was the take I got from it when I yeah. watched it. It's my own personal opinion. Anyway, I'm just talking about like right. narratively. Right. So basically all that happens is he watches a movie, and in the movie, there's a guy who appears to look exactly like him. Yeah. And he's like, like, like he's like, what the fuck? And the craziest bit is somebody recommended the movie to him that he worked with. Mm -hmm. And so he watches this crazy ass movie. And then he like looks up this guy at IMDb and he's like, oh my God, he looks like me. He starts looking up all the shit. He figures out where his agent is. And so he goes and he finds this guy and watches him for a while. And he's like, holy shit. 
holy shit. And then it gets a little dead ringery because then he starts trying to like blackmail him or kind of infiltrate his life. And so the school teacher one thinks that that guy's girlfriend is hot. right? So he wants to fuck his girlfriend. And in exchange, he's like, you can fuck my wife. Like, it's crazy. No, it's completely insane. It's crazy. But also, Gyllenhaal deserves so much credit acting-wise because these characters are completely fucking different. They're completely different. The way they stand, the way they look at each other, the way they speak, the way they carry themselves. Fucking, it's like two completely different people. It's really great. It's so good. And I love it when actors are really good and pull that shit off and you forget that it's the same actor. You're like, oh, there's that character and that character. And some people can't pull it off, but... Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Dan Aykroyd. Um, (laughs) I won't mention nothing but trouble again. But... You know, it's crazy interesting ones like I think James Franco and the Deuce, it's amazing. The two brother characters yeah. he plays, like you just or Nicolas Cage in adaptation. Well, that's something that, beyond that, anything. That's amazing. The, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, yes. We hold Nicolas Cage in the highest regard. And honestly, see adaptation. If you've never seen adaptation, just do yourself a favor, go watch adaptation. But yeah, so enemy is crazy. I saw Enemy for the first time when we were still living in the place in uh Albany? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I literally just like started watching it one night and then I was up to like four in the morning. I yeah. could not stop until it was finished. It's so good. And super I, slow burn. Same too. ending. Same with like the ending too. Like the ending is super. Oh, it just, it's 30 seconds and it's just, it's that. so, it's, the that's ending, all it is. The ending is crazy. The ending is super legit, but like completely insane. It is his most weird ending of any of his movies. But it's also like a little bit with like Kubrick too, like where yeah. this is a very weird ending. But it makes total sense. Or it, or it's like you figured out. It's literally the like, for some reason, fucking Jack Nicholson is in a photograph from the distant yeah. past at the hotel at the Overlook. And you're like, what? And that's happening. You've always fucked your wife. <laughs> I want you to have a good time, Danny. So Enemy comes out and that also is a critical darling. It wins once again, like... A million genie awards. His last straight up Canadian film. Yes, yes. And after that, it's basically now I it's time for him so to really become excited. fucking like monster Hollywood director Denny Villeneuve, not Canadian critical darling. Because after that, he makes a movie called Sicario, whoop, whoop. which is Spanish for assassin. And it is fucking one of the dopest action movies that's ever been made. It's written by. Taylor Sheridan. He's a total jackass. Total jackass, but also a really good writer. Um, I really liked Heller High Water, and I don't really give a shit about, like, Sons of Anarchy, but he's a very solid writer. But it's got Emily Blunt, Benicio well, Del Toro. Denny rewrote a lot of that movie. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Also, that's something we should say, too, is that he's also one of these guys who wrote most of his movies or was a co-writer yeah, or for most of it. Yeah, we didn't get a credit. Also, Benicio Del Toro cut out most of his lines from that movie. Right. It was much more like exposition heavy, his character. And he's like, no, he needs to be mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. And they were on board. So and apparently like it was something that Gyllenhaal was talking about was that Dylan Wave's like really good at sort of being a combo director of being like, no, these are the lines I want. But then also there were scenes apparently with him and uh, Wolverine in prisoners where he's like, now I want you two guys to go crazy on each other. Like, I don't want you to do the script anymore. I want you to fucking get nuts at each other. Like for real. And even he would like then improvise and 
you know, he was going to shoot at one camera and he would like get two or three more cameras to let them get nuts and just have, because also I should say Prisoners is the first time he uses Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins being this amazing cinematographer. If you don't know who Roger Deakins is, Roger Deakins particularly worked with the Coen brothers. Yeah. Won Oscars with the Coen brothers. No, he didn't. Not what? He was nominated 14 oh, times. Yes, he yes. didn't win until Blade Runner. Okay. Oh, for real? Yeah. It would make a lot of fucking sense I, if he had more than one Oscar. I, He's yeah. the best. Also, they're cinematographers, so they don't count. I don't follow him. That's right, Herman. If you're listening to this, you don't count. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's right. I'm coming after you cinematographers, you nerds. That's not true. I love my cinematographers. You guys do the, all the actual work while the directors just say weird stuff, and then you shoot it, and you get less I prestige. like that, but I need you to be more... Imagine you're a pineapple. <laughs> but then what's nice is if the movie sucks, it fails. No one blames the cinematographer. No, no. <laughs> At all. That was a really ugly movie. People forget you exist. You could just like slink away into the wilderness. That it, movie was dog shit, but boy, look, was it shot well. The fucking lighting was great. Fuck you guys. But Sicario is amazing. Sicario is amazing. It's the first Villanova movie. Uh, you were like, you have to see Sicario. I'm going to go on a little tangent right now. I have such a personal relationship with this movie. Yes. I saw this in New York the day after Jess Rose's birthday. I was hungover as shit. Her and her girlfriend both had to go to work. I got high, walked three miles to the theater. I was so hungover, there's nothing else I could do except just keep walking down the street. I get to BAM, smoke more, go see this movie, and it fucked me the fuck up. It was so good afterwards, like I wrote like two poems, walking down the street, and then I just couldn't stop telling people to go see this movie so I could talk about it with was them. You, was your poem about lasagna? So <laughs> this is the only time I've ever done this. I pre-ordered the movie while it was still in theaters <laughs> off of Amazon and then Holy forcibly shit. sat people down oh, yeah. and made them watch oh. it. Sicario was my favorite film yeah. of 2015. And then next year he put out Arrival. Well, oh, we'll, we'll get to that. I know. We'll I'm just saying, right. but like two years in a row, oh, he put out my favorite film of the year. It's, okay, so. But Sicario is a perfect movie. It really is. It's also an amazing action movie. You yes. really get to watch him grow into like just one of the most skilled action directors, possibly the most skilled. We were talking about like James on and you know obviously there's still James Cameron and Ridley Scott are alive but it's like just the level of talent the level yeah. of precision the shit is biting it looks cool it looks interesting it's kind of frightening and kind of rough but not like overly gratuitous you know it's fucking he nuts. also he does something with this movie that I love not to give too much away but Emily Blunt is recruited by Thanos to go across in the Mexican border. Well, actually, he lies to her where they're going mm -hmm. to. They're going mm -hmm. close to El Paso. Right. That's what he says. To go get one of the dudes who got arrested from a cartel that they're trying to break up. And that's where she meets Benicio. And this whole time, you have this idea that she is the main protagonist. Yeah. And then in this moment, you realize what's been going on the whole time. Right. He switches the protagonist. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, Oh my God, yeah. that's so good. That's yeah. so fucking great. That's totally. brilliant. It's kind of like how it takes you a while to finally meet Batman in like the tim like at the very beginning. There's a little Batman scene, but then really when the movie gets going, it takes a while for like Batman to reappear. Exactly. Right? And yeah. you think like, is it fucking Robert Wool who's the fucking main character? Like we're following him around, but then when you finally meet fucking Batman, it's like, oh shit! Yeah. It's spoiler alert. Benicio del Toro is the Sicario, the assassin. So. This is where we tell you straight up, this is one of those ones, if you haven't seen Sicario, you're dumb, and your life doesn't matter. I usually don't your agree parents don't love you. with how extreme you get. Yeah. But if you haven't seen Sicario, yeah. you're adopted. Yeah, you need to go see that. You need to watch 
Sicario. It is also Johan Johansson, RIP, yeah. does an amazing score on it. It's insane. Dude, around Roger all, Deakins. Yeah. Because now he's amazing cinematographer. That's the crazy bit. It's like now Deacons is like Villeneuve's guy. Yeah. And he's like, no, I I roll with this guy because this guy's shit is fucking biz. Mm -hmm. Like, so the aerial shots in this, just landscape shots where it goes from the car action scenes. Oh my God. But just everything in this is perfect. But like going from the suburbs where the opening shot is, the aerial shot of that to El Paso, to the Mexican border, to Mexico, just like a few simple establishing shots creates so much narratively it's so intense it's, it's so amazing it's unbelievable i can't gush enough about sicario yeah. so if you don't already know villain wave check that out but sicario's big hit strangely it's not even as big a hit as prisoners in terms of money but it was like made for like 35 million dollars yeah. and it made like 100 million dollars and so in hollywood making original action movies that gets noticed immediately of like hmm what if we give this guy say oh i don't know like $70 million and he takes $70 million and he makes a movie called Arrival, which is based on an author I like a lot named Ted Chiang, who's like a really super thoughtful sci-fi writer from China, who's now in America. If you've never read Ted Chiang's stuff, he has a collection of short stories. One of them is called Story of Your Life, and that is what Arrival is based on. And it has Amy Adams and Hawkeye, as you said. And it's an interesting to come after Sicario. Because Sicario is this very, yeah, and it's this, Sicario is this very extremely well-made, extremely well-crafted action movie that has twists and turns, but is a very kind of straightforward story about a very real thing. Yeah. And then he makes this movie about what happens if aliens come and we actually talk to them and they actually are from another world to the point where like their sense of reality is very different than ours. And... Literally, we send our greatest scientists, one of whom is Amy Adams, you know, because also she's hot. So we send our hottest scientists, which is what the main plot is. They're like, you're fucking hot. They're like, you're hot as shit. You need to go, you know, like honeypot it a little bit. Let these aliens know. And she's like, that's misogynistic. And they're like, look, maybe just like, I don't know, like wear like a V-neck, you know, and I said all the way. I'm not saying you have to be slutty, but just like you wear glasses. Aliens like glasses, right? That's in the movie. Anyway, so. She's a linguist, right? She's a, so that's also a really interesting thing. Something Ted Chiang does in a lot of his stories, but also something Villeneuve does really well in his Villeneuve. I'm going to get it one day, Villeneuve. And uh, he does really, really well, which is there's this sense of language, this sense of time, this sense of purpose that is connected in the ideas of language and time and that they are all connected, that the words you say and the symbols that mean words are connected into math and the ideas of time and conceptual elements. And it begins to fuck with the idea of like, what even is a movie? What even is your life? Is your life a movie? Like it's, it's breathtaking and it's staggering and it is gorgeous and I think there's like, there's a handful of guns in there. I don't think there's any shots. No, no. And it's also slight spoiler a little bit. It never becomes that, you know, I no. mean, maybe I'm taking a little bit of like the anticipation away, but it, it never turns into like a scorpion latches out of your face and uses its scorpion penis to face fuck your head and then put a fucking egg inside of you that pops out and is a fucking killer panther. Not like, that there's anything wrong with that. No, those are fucking dope movies. Yeah. And also there isn't like a fucking little like weird man who is like melted, who then you fall in love with and 
touches his glowing finger to you and you are connected forever and you Suburban cry. Commando? You fucking ugly cry every time you watch the end of that movie because the fucking goddamn John Williams fucking end piece of E.T. is the fucking coolest piece of music like ever fucking made. I'm not a huge fan of that movie. Jesus Christ. Do you not have a soul? God, E.T. is amazing. I'm sorry. But you know what's funny is there I'm are- just here to rattle you. Oh, that's fair. But there is an element of arrival in E.T. E- in arrival, I would say. I think there's an element of also, I would say, old good Spielberg in the oh, yeah. of- He takes the- Close encounters a little bit. Yes. He takes a lot of elements from a lot of sci-fi movies mm-hmm. and uses them in different ways. Yes. Like, this is a very compelling movie about two different species learning how to communicate. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, like, if good- 80s era Spielberg and truly completely out of his mind, wild style 90s, early 90s, David Lynch like made a movie together. Like yeah. what might end up happening might be a rival. It might be very close to that. Mm, I would say Spielberg and Carpenter. Well, but I'm talking about like the weirdness, the weirdness of like the metaphorics of Lynch. Like I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But the elements of like, once again, Villeneuve does like twist endings, and the twist ending of this one is we're not going to talk not about to be it. beat, it's, it's, not to be beat. Uh, what it is, it's so the, right much. at the at the end, the twist ending is that Amy Adams just like opens her phone and opens her bank account and just is like, "This is why I made those stupid Superman movies." And it's just like she has a bank account with like a hundred million dollars in it. It's fucking crazy. And then she punches an intern in the face, and she's like, "You like that bitch? You try and sue me. You can't really, sue me. I, I can't really spend all this money in a lifetime. You." Bitch ass bitch. That's what she I says. I really thought you were going to go with the two dicks joke again. <laughs> God damn it. I should have. Jake Gyllenhaal steps out in frame. He's not in the movie at all. And he just unzips his pants. And this time he has three dicks. That is the twist ending of Arrival. Do you have any other Arrival things that you want to talk about? Denny Villeneuve. His last three movies I saw opening day. Yeah. I saw Sicario. I saw Arrival. I saw Blade Runner 2049. I saw on the Thursday before. Oh, yeah. And, Arrival oh. was packed. Yeah. We wound up in like the fourth or fifth row. We had like our heads up, just staring at the screen. And halfway through, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Is this is this what's going to... I thought I got it, and I did get it, and it was even as fucking devastating yeah. if I didn't know. Yeah. The fact that I thought of it and then yeah. it happened made it worse. It's a gorgeous movie. It's not a Deacons movie. It is Johan Johansson again, mm-hmm. and the music's really fucking good. Really fun. And... Really it's nice just, soundscapes. It's a very compelling sense. It's a sensitive sci-fi yeah, movie. Yeah. But it's also just it's like smart. It's very smart. And it's not just like sensitive feelings wise. It's sensitive to the world mm. in general and like yeah. how we communicate with every. And like you said, this movie, the biggest aspect of it is time. Yeah. And it makes you think about how you use it, how much you've lost, what you're doing with it, how much is left. Yeah. Like it's a movie that stays with you. Yeah. A very fucking long time afterwards. Yeah, I highly recommend it, truly. It's why we're doing this episode is because the guy has made three of my, like, favorite movies, and they've happened to come out in the last couple of years, and he's still making movies, which is great, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, yes, so Arrival, they give him, like, 70 million bucks. Obviously not, like, Avengers money, but it makes $203 million worldwide, which, again, Hollywood. That's a lot of money. And especially for a really smart, like you said, poetic sci-fi movie, yeah. but it also, the critics are just like... 
fucking sucking its dick. Like sucking I, all three of its I dicks. mean, just honestly, just like it gets nominated for like everything. It gets nominated for best picture, best director, best adapted screenplay, and not Canada awards. This is now real. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Canada. Uh, you guys have better healthcare, and you're just better than us in general. So, but uh, we're just upset you're all gonna yeah, outlive yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. But it's cold there, fuckers. <laughs> And the hockey's, live like, in hockey's like, all right, I guess it's not it's, ugh, whatever. And um, it's his first best director Oscar nomination, which I thought he should have won, but he didn't. But he gets nominated for tons and tons of stuff. He wins a Hugo Award. It's a huge success. So it's interesting. He makes a sensitive sci-fi movie. And then Ridley Scott decides that he is going to be the heir apparent to what a lot of people call the greatest sci-fi movie of all time. It's up on a lot of like best movies of all time lists. And personally, my personal story, I, as a kid, rented Blade Runner from Blockbuster. I rented the first original release with the one with the voiceover. I still loved it. It blew my fucking mind apart. Then Ridley Scott. If you don't know the whole saga of Blade Runner, we'll do an there episode. Are eight different cuts. I know. We'll do an episode of that. I, at one point, owned all eight, eight releases, including the one that only came out on Betamax, which I still have that one, which is kind of one of my secret little grails that I keep that's worth a few bucks. And so Final Cut is amazing, but when they release Director's Cut, which is Ridley Scott's version, there's no voiceover. It's really lean. He uses all these really amazing shots. If you've never seen Blade Runner, you need to also do that. I don't know what the fuck you're doing with your life. It's crazy. It's the first postmodern dystopian anything that happens. Cyberpunk. Cyber, it's cyberpunk. It incorporates a lot of like what was going on in comic books in the 80s, what was going on in Japanese manga in the 80s. It incorporates a lot of things that were happening. Akira, for instance. All these things are super influenced by Blade Runner. It changes the fucking game. It was a flop at the box office, but it became... Open the same day as John Carpenter's thing, and they yeah. both flopped. They both flopped, and both of them became maybe the two biggest and most important movies in terms of sci-fi horror, at least in the 80s, and definitely in the genre, and are now regarded as huge, huge critical successes, but also they have made tons of money as buying all these different copies. Eventually he made a thing called the final cut, which I think came out in like 2010, yeah. which was amazing. I saw a 35 millimeter print of it at the music box. It oh yeah. I saw the same thing. Fucking unbelievable. Midnight show. Yeah. Yeah. On Christmas. No, um, no, no. It was in the midnight. It was always like at eight. It was like seven o'clock at night on Christmas. Okay. Uh, the final cut, I think would be the one to watch now. Yeah, final cuts, the best final cuts, the best. If you get your hands on an old VHS copy of the director's cut, I think that's also cool to that's watch. Really it's Final a, Cut's the best though. That's that's yeah. the one that's like that. It has like amazing like little lingering shots, like yeah. the characters walk away and then mm. you just watch the streets of LA for like ten seconds extra, just like as the rain's coming down, right? Just to show you what the world is. It's the first Philip K. Dick adapted thing from Philip K. Dick. He also was alive when they were making that. So there's a lot of he worked alongside Ridley Scott to make it. So it's the only movie that Philip K. Dick, who would eventually become this. They would steal all of his properties and make them all into movies. Some of them varying in awesomeness from Total Recall and Scanner Darkly Darkly, down to like Paycheck. Um, you know, all all over the Total board. Recall remake, right. the Man in the High Castle. You know, all these things that not all of them are anything like the Philip K. Dick stuff, but he's so influential. He's also the first sci-fi writer who kind of works in the same sort of postmodern thing, where it's more about the characters who just happen to live in sci-fi worlds than it is about the sci-fi worlds, and. So that comes into the Blade Runner stuff. Also, there's a really great shot in the final cut, which you can see on a 35 millimeter print, but I don't even think you can see on the Blu-ray. There's a part where 
when Harrison Ford's character, Rick Deckard, gets home, he takes a little shot of whiskey and he's been beaten up and his lip is bleeding and he takes a little shot of the like vodka and a little bit of the blood like comes back into the vodka and sort of like roils around and you just see the blood. Anyway, it's an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. There's tons of great actors in it. Daryl Hannah. Uh, yeah, that guy from Deadwood who I love, who I can never remember his name. He's an awesome character actor who's like the the toy maker, the guy who makes all the I'm the oh, one yeah. who makes all that the guy. toys. Like the and yeah, Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer's best thing. He has that monologue at the end, the tears in the rain monologue. It's devastating. It's amazing. Yes. Sean Young. Sean yeah. Young. Oh, Sean Young's super hot in it. So anyway, it becomes this classic. It's almost like a classic that for a long time was regarded a little bit as like untouchable because it was so classic. Nobody wanted to fuck it up. Nobody wanted to make, you know, on the better side, Ghostbusters 2, on the bad side of coming after a classic, I don't know, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I don't know. <laughs> that insinuates Mortal Kombat's a classic. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, sequels are rough. Sequels are rough because maybe you make The Empire Strikes Back. And sometimes but, you make Escape from L.A. Yes, but more likely you make Escape from L.A. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh. So, tsunami, snake, tsunami. <laughs> right. So, and really Scott Big, at the very least, one of our smartest filmmakers and producers was like, I don't know, but he clearly had an idea of a story that he wanted to set in the Blade Runner universe, but he didn't want to direct it. And interestingly enough, he, I've seen really Scott talk about this, about how he saw Arrival and was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I, I think I'm going to talk to this guy and see what he thinks about making a new Blade Runner. So guess what? Denny Villeneuve makes Blade Runner 2049. As we were talking about, Hall couldn't make it. So he like could David Bowie. Yes. He wanted David a lot. David Bowie was supposed to be the uh, Jared Leto part. Because mm. he was sick. That's a shame. Um, that would have been dope. I know. Um, although I will say, normally I'm not a big Leto guy. I actually kind of thought he was awesome in it. I thought he was really spooky and weird in it. He's he is a piece of shit it's a though. Huge piece of shit. But that comes across. It's yeah. Him being this weird cybernetic cult leader in the future. Uh, it's kind of Leto-y. I, I don't mean, know. I don't like him. I don't like him in this movie. But as a character, I'm supposed to hate. It works. Yeah. And also the look of things like I didn't think anybody would be able to match the visual style of the original Blade Runner, how sort of unique and wild it is. Then he fucking crushes it. Yeah. His shit is awesome. It is another world. I feel like the way people react to this movie depends on how they saw it. Yes. I saw it three times in theaters. The second two times was just me telling people how amazing it was to varying results because it was a normal screen. First time I saw Blade Runner 2049 was on the IMAX. It was Thursday night. Before it opened, I was waiting around for somebody outside of the theater, passive aggressively playing on my phone with all the other fucking nerds who looked like they were doing the same thing. But on the IMAX, it was another world completely. Yeah. All those establishing shots that him and Deacons came up with and just like the weird uh, place with all the fucking kids and building the, the iPhones, basically. And then there's the junkyard and the city and everything. It was magical. Yes. I was Pulled the fuck in. It was so goddamn good. And for those of you who haven't seen it, once again, you need to see it. But if you haven't seen it, Gosling plays a Blade Runner who is a detective in the future who hunts down rogue robots uh, or um, 
clones, I suppose, more so is really what they are. They're no, well, the, his traditional job right. is hunting down. What's wrong with me? What do they call the older replic older replicants? Yes, Jesus Christ, that have taken off because like a big part of this. Is, also, you should watch the uh, the original. The original, and then you should watch the three short right. films that came out. Exactly. Harrison Ford's a dreamboat in both of these movies, and you should yeah. watch those. He's a replicant. He's tracking down other, like, replicants that ran away, older models, and... Slight, in, yeah, slight spoiler alert for both, that he... I won't spoil everything, but he is a replicant both yeah. times. Well, I mean, they kind of give that away in the trailers. I know, but that was a big debate for a long time with the original movie of whether or not Deckard was a replicant. And also, they skirt around it both times they, in both. Yeah. I like to think he's not a replicant. Right. Because otherwise... It's interesting, like, supposedly before they made 2049, Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott got into, like, an argument during yeah. one of the first script meetings where Harrison Ford basically said, ah, no, he's not a fucking replicant. If he was a replicant, I wouldn't have made that fucking movie. Yeah. And Ridley Scott... I hate to break it to you, boy. That's why I put the fucking unicorn thing in there. Yeah, like, which he shot from. A, that's a scene from another movie. Yes, yes, but it's spooky. But then it's like just a mem. It's weird. It's very yeah, meta. It's just an implanted memory. But yes. also, I feel like him not being a replicant makes the first movie a little better because it's the same thing in this movie. You don't care about Ryan Gosling as much because you know straight up he's a replicant and he's hunting on the replicants. I don't know. I think but, you care but about like it. in the beginning, I mean, but then. Yeah. You see him go through this journey and just like suffer all this existential pain, all this human pain. And that's when he finally understands what it is to be human. And like him not being human is devastating to him, but also it's probably like he's a real person. He's, right. a, he's a real life person. But like the same time, him not being human probably better off for him in do Andrew's dream of electric sheep which is a book that philip k dick wrote that blade runner is based on there's a lot of it that is in the movie but there's some other stuff like deckard has a wife yeah his wife is really obsessed with saving up to buy a real goat right which costs like hundreds of thousands of dollars because in this time buying anything that is real any animal that is real anything like that is a huge investment anything left that is real is a big fucking deal and so in the classic Philip K. Dick way, there's other crazy shit that goes down in the book. And so basically by like the end, if Decker's a replicant or not, it's kind of like, oh shit, everything's fake. So if yeah. every single thing in the world is fake and you exist, then what's the fucking difference? Like, then what is the fucking difference at all? Then you're here and you're in human society and we're all replicants, like all of us. Oh, well then we're all replicants, thus we're all human. You know, this kind of weird only way that Philip K. Dick could do it, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a little more of that in 2049. Oh, absolutely. Where once you realize just how deep it is of are there humans left at all? And in that way that Villanova has the ability to do where it's very poetic, but also when action sequences go down, they are so kick ass. They're so good. They're so amazing. When Gosling, I'm not going to break the whole, but when Gosling fights love, when he fights her in that sinking thing, it is one of the most bananas fight scenes I've ever seen in anything. Yeah. And as I, same as you were saying, and I'm watching it on IMAX and one of the few times in my entire life where I said to myself, holy shit, what the fuck am I looking at? This is crazy. Yeah. This is, this is something I couldn't even conceive of in my mind. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And, um, 
Also, the part where he visits the old junkyard. Yes. And she's just firing the fucking missiles on him while she's getting her nails done. Mm -hmm. It's so badass. She might be the greatest replicant ever. And the character of love. Yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, like... You have to check it out. We don't want to obviously spoil the shit out of anything. But uh, at the end, him and Harrison Ford just, they kiss. They kiss for like like 35 minutes. Just him and Harrison Ford making out. Yeah. Which was, I mean, it's choice, tasteful. It's very tasteful. But it goes on for a while. Very odd. It's, it's a three-hour movie. Right. Also, there are a couple of times where they, they like have to take a break and drink a little water and then just kiss some more. Yeah. It was confusing. But, you know, but it's a twist ending. So... M. Night Shyamalan just comes out and he's like, toasty. He just <laughs> like, what are you doing here? <laughs> he then just disappears into a cloud of smoke. So yeah, Blade Runner 2049, honestly, just back to back to back. Just yeah. Sicario, I, um, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. I Blade mean, Runner 2049 is easily in the top three best sequels of all time. Because that only expands on the world. It makes it, it makes it better. Like it's closer to Philip K. Dick than... The original one. My only concern with with Blade Runner 2049, moving into the next movie we're going to talk about, which is his upcoming movie. But my only concern with Blade Runner 2049 is that it came out to like overwhelming critical acclaim. It got nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars. One, like three. One, three, including Deacons, like you're saying, yeah. finally winning cinematography. And it didn't bomb. It just. It didn't make a lot of it money. It didn't make a lot of money. It cost like $130 million and it made like. 180 million dollars which when you're taking big risk on shit like that that's like that clearly the like corporate overlords that like you know at disney and warner brothers and shit they don't they don't like making you know just you know what is that 25 percent over you know that's not that's not big that's not (laughs) they want a russo brother movie where they could buy a small country with the we all want a russo brothers movie (laughs) they want a russo brother movie we need to buy fucking which country can we buy fucking el salvador with the fucking profits from fucking endgame like you know they're just own places now you are part of the disney corporation i think warner Brothers is just happy that villeneuve didn't make he didn't take that money and make fucking um suicide squad 2049 if villeneuve had made suicide squad it would be fucking rad it would okay but they would have fucked with it yeah you see but that's the crazy bit is that i don't know i feel like there's i will say this when you hear villeneuve in like interviews it's interesting because he seems like really low-key I saw a couple where he was being interviewed like with Hall, and they clearly like sometimes when people are interviewed like with a director, they're just like lying. They're just doing the thing. It's like and also uh, Oliver Stone's a great director, you know, like they have to like do this. They have to yeah. say this. But literally they would stop talking to the interviewer and Villanova and Hall would kind of get into like they're like, do you remember the thing I'm telling you about the other day? And he's like, he's like, yes. And, you know, if we were to do this next time, if we do another movie, maybe we should try this. And he's like, oh, that'd be cool if we try. You know, and they literally like have this weird chemistry. And it literally seems like he's a guy who just sort of if you told him studio notes, he'd be like, oh, yes, it's a good one. Yeah, sure. You know, like, of course. And then he'd just like do whatever the fuck he's doing. And then he would show it to you and you'd be like, oh, shit. Like, which is kind of the Fincher thing, too, a little bit where they're like, you should do it this one. He's like, yeah, totally. I'll do it that way. And then he shows you his version and you're like, holy shit. And of course, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not like totally shitting on studio directors who can just do their studio director thing. But I don't I don't think Villeneuve's a guy who you really like want to be like, you're doing it wrong. This is not how you should direct it. This is not how it should look fucking amazing. Um, so. He then, after this, is now going to... It seems he has two movies he's directing. He's directing a thing, a crime novel, or based on a crime novel called The Sun, 
which was like a Scandinavian writer named Joe Nesbo. It's like the the O with the line through it, which I don't. How do you pronounce Nesbo? Nesbo. That's right. Nesbo. Net zero. That's yes, correct. <laughs> Angel Fire. <laughs> and um, but also he is directing a version of the legendary Frank Herbert novel Dune, which is how you have to say it. Dune exclamation point. Dune! Dune! Spice World! And Which I have yes, uh, a picture of the yeah, Spice World. The Spice Girls Spice World the, from VHS Girl. Which you've never read, Dune, you suck. And I'm just telling you that as well. It is one of my favorite novels. Paul Atreides is the the Muad'Dib. And it's about if the Messiah returned to a human civilization that is now intergalactic thousands of years and 6,000 years into the future. And now instead of being Jesus-y and being like, you should forgive each other, he is pissed as fuck. He is mad. And he is going to take out his revenge. And there is literally all this like crazy shit with like sandworms and the spice and people having crazy visions. And David Lynch made a version of it in the 80s, which is nuts. The first 45 minutes of that movie are perfect. Are great. And... If David Lynch would have been allowed to make three movies, three movies, although I think Villanova's trying to do it in two, yeah, which even still is better because the first book literally moves in like three parts. It moves in three very distinctive parts. I don't want to spoil anything, but there are three very distinctive stories. And I think the first act of the book is done well in the Lynch version of for the time, especially the Harkonnens are horrifying. The whole thing. Sting is not wearing any clothes. His idea. The guy from Quantum Leap is there. Scott Bakula? Yeah. Or the other guy? The other guy. Uh, the the dude with the... the, 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 the Deed Stockwell. Very nice. Uh, Brad Dorif is there, who I like. Also another Deadwood actor. There's this guy, Kyle McLaughlin, you may have heard of. Was he in Portlandia? He he is the mayor of Portland. He's port- yeah. <laughs> he is, mayor of Portland. He is still a weird... That's person. his first acting gig, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so he just made Dune and Portlandia. That's yeah. it. He's never made anything else. He certainly wasn't on Sex in the City for a season. No, no. It wasn't like Agent Dale Cooper or anything. But he is Paul Atreides. I loved him in that. I still have a soft spot for the Lynch Dune. Lynch decided to direct Dune instead of Return of the Jedi, which I find very interesting. I still think he makes the right choice. I kind of do, although a Return of the Jedi in which David Lynch directed it would be... Those it, Ewoks would have fucking eaten <laughs> Chewbacca. <laughs> the Sarlacc pit would have just like been a full... like just like queefing vagina, which is kind of what it was. Actually, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. That's exactly what they it was. They kept a couple of his ideas. They really did. But now Villanova's doing Dune, and I don't think there's a movie I have wanted to watch. It comes out theoretically in 2020, I believe is what it's listed as. That's three years from now? <laughs> that is that is next year. What? <laughs> yeah, so you've been asleep for a long time. He's also directing the pilot of a TV show called Dune the Sisterhood, which hopefully is on like HBO or something. Cause, yeah. It's uh, about traveling pants. Oh, yeah. The Sisterhood of the Dune Pants. Yeah. That's right. I know about that. Just it's, khakis. Yeah. They work at a gap. They tell it secrets. They're like, they you're actually, my secret pants. They work at the gap on uh, Kimball and uh, Milwaukee. I thought you were on a diet. Lay off me. I'm starving. The uh, spice. Spice. The quasatsarak. But. I would also say read Frank Herbert's Dune. It is super cool. It's one of those books where literally even people who are like, I don't like sci-fi. I don't ever, I don't want to read this. I remember I, I dated a girl for a while and she was like, I don't like sci-fi. And I was like, just read this, read. I got her a copy of Dune and she read it in like two days. And she was like, give me another sci-fi book like that. Like, That's the only problem is uh, 
That's the best one. Yeah. So start at the top. So I'll give you get ready for. And then I gave her some Philip dick and she read some of it. She was like, this is good, but it's like really fucking weird. And I was like, yeah, yeah I know. I, I like that, but yeah. it's not dude. Like while um, we're making this. Yeah. Read Dune. Read do uh, Android's Dream of Electric Sheep yes. by Philip K. Dick. Yes, also. And yes. Who, who was the uh, what was the name of the book for oh, Ted, Arrival? Uh, Ted Chiang, C H I A N G. It's uh, his collection of short stories. I'm going to look at it very quickly. It's called Story of Your Life. He's won Hugo Awards, uh, Locus Awards, like really like the creme de la creme of like sci-fi stuff. And he has a novel called Tower of Babylon that he wrote in like 1990 when he was like 17, and I hate him for it because it's fucking amazing. But his big two, he has a collection of short stories, one called Stories of Your Life and Others, and one called Exhalation Stories. And both of those are amazing. They're fucking unstoppably amazing. And Story of Your Life, obviously, is the title story of one of the one of his things. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Villeneuve reads. Yeah. He reads. He likes write it. He is a good writer. He's a visual storyteller. And he right. takes a lot of it straight up from the books. Right. Or he was talking about prisoners. It was like coming from a script that he fucking thought was great. And so he wanted to do it because of a script, you know, yeah. which is a little bit different, you know, in terms of big Hollywood directors, because they more so just want to do it because prestige or money, which I get. I mean, now, I mean, there's an element. It's like, but I feel like he's like Blade Runner is an amazing story that has an amazing backstory. Dune is an amazing story that I think I can do something amazing with. Yeah. You know, it, he's not just like, yeah, let me direct Suicide Squad. How many zeros are on my paycheck? Yeah. I don't give a fuck. I'll do whatever the fuck you say, Warner You Brothers. want me to make the ex- Rambo 5, yeah. The Last Blood? Yeah, let's do it. I'll fucking do it. I'll suck whoever's dick. I got to suck. That's fucking, we leave that up to Sylvester Stallone. That is. Yeah. <laughs> he's like. Sucking look, his own dick. Yeah, well, that's true. He's like a, a real dick sucky sort of. Uh, director who's like i'll do any i'll do any rennie harlan i don't know <laughs> like i'll do just give me some money <laughs> i don't care what it is he's over directing all these fucking happy madison movies but see at least that i get at least i get that a little bit because it's just probably a friend of adam sandler's and they have a great fucking time to write like even if we don't like them they're having a blast they make no, a bunch gonna, of money a paid vacation yeah you know they're all wearing like basketball shorts when they make it and they're just like laughing and having a great time and then they put it out and netflix gives them like a 12 movie deal because they know that it's kind of it works for the audience that it wants yeah. you know and but i'd rather have super producer brian tapp stabbing the knee with my own pen than have to direct anything with kevin james Ooh, yeah that's true that is true you don't want to direct paul bart what are we up to four paul blart four revenge of paul, the uh, paul blart in time revenge of the shoplifters <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually that's the fifth one yeah it's van damme and paul blart Ooh, see now you're all time cop even you are coming up with a movie that i would watch Mall Time Cop. Mall Time Cop. In which him and Van Damme are buddy cop. Like, dude, I'm saying, like, no. we just came up with a movie that actually I would watch if Kevin James was in it. Yeah, that would happen. But yeah, so that's uh, Denny Villeneuve. Like I said, check out Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner, Prisoners, du- Prisoners, Enemy. I'll say this Maelstrom, I definitely watched all of it. I definitely was like, this is different. This is a different yeah. movie. This is not your average movie. It is narrated by a talking fish and a woman straight up manslaughtered a guy and was kind of like, maybe I should turn myself in. And then a guy's like, why? Is that going to make him come back to life? Yeah. And she was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to fuck his son. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is the weirdest version of while you were sleeping. Um, but uh, while you were dead, while you were dead, I fucked your brother. 
yeah, so I don't know. You have any other Denny Villeneuve thoughts? Just just keep making movies. Mm-hmm. I like all of your movies. If you want to come on the show, you're absolutely allowed. Oh my god, I will pay for travel. Don't hold. <laughs> do not hold me to that. Yeah, because <laughs> California and Quebec are pretty fucking. They far. are pretty far away. That is Southwest true. doesn't really go to either of those. I'll go to Montreal and hang out with you there, yeah. or L.A. Either one. That's yeah. fine. But yeah, so I'm psyched and. Yeah. I think we did a pretty good deep dive on Mr. Denny Villeneuve. Um, At least the latter half of his career. Definitely. I mean, I mean, even our favorite directors, like real early Joe Dante stuff. Yeah, I know. I mean, st- literally at this point, some of that stuff is just unattainable. It is very difficult to watch. Maybe you could find it on YouTube. Maybe you could tour it in it, but you really got to dig. It's like not on Amazon, not on, you know I mean? And some of those movies, particularly ones that are foreign. It'd be cool if there were like a store where you could go and like not buy a movie because you don't want to keep it, but maybe right. just like borrow it and then yeah. bring it back. But you pay them a couple bucks. Yeah. Like, you you know, know, to borrow it. And we'll it. promise to rewind the DVD. And you see if you like it. Yeah. And then if you really liked it, you could buy it. Yeah. You could buy other stuff, popcorn yeah. and video games and shit there as yeah. well, you know, and it gives people a sense of community. Some Twizzlers. So they don't just have to sit in their fucking room all the time, just getting weirder and more depressed and yeah. more isolated all the time. Yeah. You go to the Redbox. Yeah. You go to a vending machine outside of a jewel, which is somehow more depressing than just renting it on your fucking phone. The last time I used Redbox, yeah. I rented uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen because I had seen Oof. a very strange bootleg of it Oof. and I thought it was like an 80s. I thought it was like super- You watched t- the opening, which Zack Snyder is amazing at openings. He is great at openings. I watched like 30 minutes of it, but it was such a shitty bootleg. It looked like an old VHS tape from the 80s and I thought that's how the whole thing looked. And then I got through the opening I was watching, I was like, Oh, uh, yeah. And I got back in my car and I uh, dropped it off the same night. It's, yeah. Uh, we'll go into our Zack Snyder episode. will just be us taking a dump on Zack Snyder. With the exception of I don't know. Zack Snyder, I do sometimes like the look of his things. I think would be an amazing music video director. I think his stuff looks dope. He should just do music videos. But they don't have those anymore. And well, also now Warner directing. Brothers just handed him the keys to the DC universe and he they crashed it as hard though. as he fucking yeah. could into a tree. Like, But let's let's not end this episode on a downer. No, I know. Okay. We had Did a lot it, of fun. That's true. Arrival. The one good thing we have is that even in weird times, we have Denny Villeneuve yeah. running around making the coolest high-end action movies. They're still happening. He's still around. We're hopefully going to get him making really dope movies every couple yeah. of years for like the next 30 plus years. He's, he's not he's old. He's only in his 50s. Yeah. He won the like Canada Kid Contest when he was like 15 in 1991. So he's Gen X. He's not like super no. old. So yeah, fuck yeah, Denny Villeneuve. Keep making poetic films. Hell yeah. I love you guys. Uh... Thank you for listening to the podcast. Check us out on all the shit. Download, subscribe, give us five stars, or I'll kill you. And uh, do drugs. Drive your car real fast. I love you guys.